I'm so fired up about the things that we're going to talk about today. This is just one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. But before we get into that, there's a couple things new that I'd like to mention to you. Some of you have mentioned that you, you want the sermon outline to fill in. There was an uh, email sent there with a PDF that you can print out, probably too late for this week. And also, we now have a children's program that goes on during the message. They'll be following the same text. If you'd like to set that up for your children, uh, you can also find that on our children's uh, Facebook page. Uh, one old thing for this morning is I really like you to, to have your Bible. We're going to be getting deep into passage today, so please have your Bible uh, prepared for us to study today. We're in the middle of this Paul series, and I know we all feel like life has been put on Paul's, and it would be really easy if we knew there was a play button that we controlled. It's almost like you remember those old cassette tape recorders where you put something on pause and then sometimes mechanically they wouldn't work and you couldn't get it off pause and it was so frustrating. I know that's the way life feels today. And in this moment of pause, we could just make it. We could just waste time. I mean, there's so much good material out there on Netflix and Hulu. You could just binge watch all these series. But, but here's what I want you to understand. A pause is one of God's greatest tools to change you. In fact, last Sunday, we looked at ways that God refreshes us. We called it a pause that refreshes. And, and you can see the, the four things up here on the board. This is a great time to, to rest, to be released from the pressures of the world, to make your own decisions, to reflect on where you are and how much God loves you, and to refocus on, on that special relationship. And so I hope you've been doing that. It's almost like God's heard all our complaints all these years. I don't, I don't have enough time, and God, I'm too busy. And God said, okay, let's press the pause button. Let's see what you do if I give you that time. Now this morning, we're going to go in a little bit different direction. Today, we're going to talk about the pause that perfects. And we're going to look at a familiar story in John chapter 11 about Lazarus. And I know where your mind goes. It goes exactly where my mind goes. It goes to his resurrection. You know, one of the problems with looking at a familiar passage is we already know the end of the story. It's like watching that ball game we talked about last week when someone told you the score and you're watching the replay and, and, and you're not as tense, you're not as dramatic. And, and honestly, the game, it doesn't mean as much. You're not paying attention to as many details. You're not reacting to the moment. You're not really almost in the moment. And when it comes to John chapter 11, it's really easy for us to not pay attention to what's going on because we all know the end of the story. Lazarus will resurrect. But here's what I want you to understand. It took me a long time to understand this. The focus of this story is not on Lazarus' resurrection. The focus of this story is on Mary and Martha's Paul's. Because honestly here, guys, if you just started reading this story and didn't know the end, you might label this a cruel pause. I mean, what Jesus pulls off here is pretty radical and difficult. You see, let me tell you the beginning of the story. John chapter 11, Jesus is off doing his thing. Back in Bethany, real close to Jerusalem, you know, his, his best buddies, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, it, it probably is the place where Jesus felt the most comfortable. You know, just that home you go into and you can, you know, just 
relax and go to the refrigerator when you want to and you don't feel like you got to put on a show. That was what this home was for. There's something bad is going on. So Lazarus is sick. He's close to death. And Mary and Martha track Jesus down and send someone. They know his power. And so they say, Jesus, and listen to how they put it. The one you love is sick. And then Jesus does what at first appears to be cruel. They sent word, and then look at verses 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Point taken. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then in verse 14, there's all this discussion about what's going on and when they're going to go back and when they're not going to go back. And why is Jesus delaying? So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad. I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, you might not have read that whole verse if you weren't careful. I mean, because you might, you might know the fake news headline. Lazarus is dead. Jesus is glad. And, and so we stay a little befuddled here of Jesus' lack of action in answer to their request. And so finally Jesus goes back. We get in chapter, verse 17, and when Jesus got there, he finds out Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And people are pretty ticked off. Mary complains, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha complains, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Even their friends gathered say, could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man had kept this man from dying? You think there'd been some talk about Jesus over those four days? You ever walked in a room and you knew people had been talking bad about you? And you walk in and it's all like, there's been some gossip about Jesus here. They've even learned the same line. Jesus, you could have done something about it and you didn't and we don't understand it. But here's what I want you to see today. In this pause, there's all kinds of things that they learn. So I want you to open your Bible, and I want us to walk through this passage for a few moments together. And just watch what happens and what Jesus is trying to teach. Let's start in verse 14. He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad. And then look at verse 16. <laughs> then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go on that we may die with him. What, what's going on with Thomas? We all say, well, Thomas is a doubter, and Thomas is negative, and certainly that's a part of his personality. But Thomas knew going back toward Jerusalem was a life-threatening situation. And, and often we're down on Thomas, but actually here, Thomas shows a courage. Lord, if that's what we've got to do, we'll go and we'll die with you. So on his arrival... Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. And stop just for a second there. Lazarus was a very successful man. This would have been an unbelievable memorial service. I mean, it would have been better put out all the stops. In, in a funeral in this day, it wasn't a two-hour or one-hour deal. It would have lasted four or five days. 
So actually, Jesus is probably walking into the middle of them still mourning and still celebrating Lazarus' life. And so he's coming that way, and Martha hears he's coming. And she runs out there, and she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But listen to this. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. What faith? Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. You're not telling me anything new here, Jesus. And then Jesus said, one of my favorite verses to use at a funeral service, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. She replied, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's coming to the world. I get this. I know at the end of time, we're going to all resurrect. But my brother is dead, and you didn't do anything about it. So then, here comes Mary, always behind Martha. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to warn there. She's not going to the tomb. She's going to ride Jesus' case. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would have not died. Now, here's where the story gets so touching. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, that word of deeply moved in spirit, it's a word for anger. It's, It's a word like we looked at in Romans 8 a few weeks ago. It's the word groan. When Jesus is close to the situation and sees what Satan has done, and the effect of death, he is deeply moved with anger because things are not right. So he asked, where did they lay him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And here's two words, maybe the most powerful verse in all the Bible. Jesus wept. This is not anger. This is literally silent tears. There's just tears rolling down his face. Now the Jews said, see how he loved him. But I think they're wrong. I don't think Jesus is weeping over Lazarus. He knows he's in resurrect Lazarus. Why are you weeping, Jesus? He's weeping because he sees the hurt and the pain in his friends. Some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man and kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved. He's angry. He's groaning. He comes to the tomb. He comes to Satan's great power of death. It was a cave and a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. That's always tickled me. Oh, If you're about to resurrect somebody from the dead, why in the world do you ask somebody to move the stone? You could have obliterated it. But but Jesus always wants us to be a part of what he's doing. 
But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. <clears throat> this is where I really miss the King James Version. What she says to Jesus is, you don't want to go there. He stinketh. <laughs> Isn't that a great word? He stinketh. I mean, he's four days into this thing. His body's decomposing. Jesus, you don't want to open that tomb. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'd see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they would believe that you sent me. This is one of these really odd prayers where Jesus is talking to the Father, and he's also talking to the people that are listening. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I love this. The old preacher said Jesus had to call call Lazarus' name because if he just said come out, the whole graveyard would have came out. So he he calls Lazarus out. And then, can, can you imagine being here? The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and, and cloth around his face. I mean, he's all wrapped up. And then Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So there we go. Lazarus is resurrected. But what I want you to see is the truth of what it's like to be in Paul's. Now, there's some really pretty strong truths here in this passage. First one, Jesus' best friends have tough times and often feel like God has put them on hold. Just because you love Jesus and you know Jesus loves you does not mean that everything is always going to be easy. You know, it's really cruel, if you want to talk about cruelty today, or preachers that would have told Mary and Martha, you don't have enough faith, you must not have prayed right, you must not have said the right words. I mean, name it, claim it, it's supposed to happen. That's cruel. It's not a lack of faith on Mary and Martha. It's not a lack of love from Jesus. But even when you're close to Jesus, even when you're following Jesus, even when he likes to be in your home, bad things can happen to you. And he'll put you on hold. Don't you hate being put on hold? You recognize the average American spends 60 hours a year on hold. I like it now that they give you a time period. I can remember years ago talking to Delta on the phone and I was in my office, and, you know, it, it took so long, I would walk out, do something, come back. You know, just went on forever. That's a miserable feeling. And it's really miserable when the God of heaven, who you know loves you, and you know has the power to solve your problem, puts you on hold. Well, why would he do that? Here's the truth. Here's the next truth. Some things are so important to God that they are worth interrupting the happiness and health of his children to accomplish. Now, that's a big-time statement. Let me read that again. Some things are so important to God that they are worth interrupting the happiness and health of his children to accomplish. You see, God's got better plans for your life than for you just to have an easy life. I mean, God has a vision for who you could be. We started this year out in our message series, 2020 Vision. Doesn't that sound like a long time ago? And we 
understood from the simplicity of the great commandment and the great commission, that God's vision for us is that we love people and we love him, we become disciples and we make disciples. And and listen to me, you being a true disciple of Jesus is more important to God than everything going your way. You see, not only was Jesus doing this for Mary and Martha, he was also doing it for all these people watching. You see, at times, he's willing to let you and I, the 99, be terribly uncomfortable so that he can reach the one. Listen, my friends, we would not be reading this story today if Jesus had healed Lazarus long distance, and he could have. He did it with the centurion. Mary Martha knew that. That's one reason I think they're so mad. But, but it would not be a faith-building story if he had done that. So understand this, guys. God is okay with you being uncomfortable. He cares a whole lot more about you going to heaven and being like Jesus than you being comfortable. And so that leads us to this truth. God's love for us is not always a pampering love. Often it's a perfecting love. Now there's some pampering. I like when First John, John says God lavishes us with his love. I love when God speaks over us, when he spoke over Jesus. This is my son. This is my daughter who I'm proud. He applauds you. But just like a good parent, you need to be full of encouragement, but you also need to have discipline. Just like a parent that would applaud what their kid does well, you also might be upset if they didn't do something they, they should have done. Or, or you, you want more than anything to form their character. Now, now, now remember back with me, because now we've gone to the end of the story, how hurt these women had to be for four days when they knew Jesus delayed. I mean, I, I, I can th- just see them going, Jesus, come on, man. Not only did you not come, not only is Lazarus dead, but we've thrown this big funeral. We're sending you the bill, man. I mean, this doesn't feel like love, but it is love. Now, I want you to do something with me right now. I want you to, to lean in, okay? That's, that's the new popular preacher term. I needed to use it. I want you to lean in, and I want you to listen to me. Suffering is one of God's plans for your life. Now, a lot of preacher types like me wouldn't tell you that. But suffering has always been a part of God molding people. Romans chapter 5 says, we glory in our suffering. Are you crazy? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Why? Because when you've been through suffering and you've made it through it and God's been faithful, the next time you get in that hole, you've got hope because of your experience. So, this is the pause that perfects The point of this story is that God works in this pause to draw people close to him. Let me give you four ways I see God perfecting Mary and Martha. First of all, he perfects an eternal perspective. Martha knows, Mary knows all the facts about resurrection and heaven and all that. Lazarus certainly knows about it. I mean, can you imagine if Lazarus lived today? 
he could have written a bestseller, Four Days in Heaven, and what it was like. I mean, that dude, you talking about wealthy? He'd have been really wealthy. He understands what it's like. In fact, there, there's a, a, a really odd tradition that says when Lazarus was resurrected from the dead, he asked Jesus if he'd ever die again, and Jesus said, yep, you will. And the tradition is that Lazarus never smiled another day in his life. Well, I don't really believe that, but I do know he understood it. You see, what really matters is not that Lazarus and Mary and Martha and everybody around them is all happy and things are all going well. That's not near as important to God as you understanding that in the long run, what matters is where you spend eternity. That's what matters. Because, guys, we get too comfortable here. We begin to think, I think that's one of our problems in America. Maybe this pandemic's gonna help us is that we actually can pretty much surround ourselves with enough comfort and enough entertainment that we think this world is home. So I think God rudely interrupts that. Number two, it perfects a more open prayer life. I mean, guys, these women don't hold back. I mean, they know they're talking to the Messiah. They know they're talking to the Son of God, and yet they come and they're like, Lord, if if you had not dilly-dallied around back over there by Jordan and you'd gotten here, this guy you supposedly love more than anybody else, us who feed you more than anybody else, I mean, if you'd, you'd, you'd moved, then something would have happened and we wouldn't be in this crazy situation crying our eyes out. Did you notice this? Jesus took it. He didn't get mad. He probably expected it. And, and this is what I want you to know. God wants you to come to him with everything. God doesn't mind you complaining to him. God doesn't mind you being mad at him. Read some of the Psalms. In fact, I don't believe you're ever going to develop the relationship with God that you could have until you learn to come, in, come to him with honest prayer where you stop these sweet little church prayers and you say, God, I'm not feeling it, or this is what I am feeling, or God, where were you and why didn't you do that? And I thought you promised me that. God's big enough to take that. He's like any of us that are parents. I just want my kids to talk to me. We can work through anything. Just don't cut me off. Just don't give me the silent treatment. And that's the way God is with us. He wants you to come. He's okay with you being honest. He'll work through it with you. And you know what you'll develop? You'll, you'll develop a real relationship with God. You, you know what the friendships and the marriages that are really thriving? They're not the conflict-free marriages. I don't believe there's such a thing. There's not the conflict-free friendships. It's when you've worked through conflict and you still love each other. And, and you, you develop a relationship of, of honesty. If you can't be honest with somebody, they're probably not really your friend. Three, what, what happens here in the pause? It perfects emotional bonds with Jesus. And that, that's what I love here. You see, the truth is, God did cause this. I don't know whether God caused the coronavirus or not. Can't call that one. But I do know that God caused this delay. And I do know that God knew what he was doing. But I also know from this passage, crystal clear, was that he cares. 
Nothing says more about the character of God than that two-word verse, Jesus wept. People before Jesus would have been appalled at a God who cried, like some of us. We want a macho God. We've got God's pretty tough, I'll tell you that. But he's also very tender. And and what I want you to know in the middle of this pause is that God is sensitive. He's not just turned his back like, ah, hope they make it through it. No, he cares. And and they develop these these bonds. And and I, I have a feeling after that, they're closer. I mean, the next time we see it is in John 12. We see them all back together. That's right before Jesus' death. We really don't know because John's not real chronological in his writings how much time there was between the resurrection of Lazarus and this meeting, but I I would imagine it was a few weeks, a few months. And it's still where Jesus wants to go. And they still want Jesus in their home. And I don't think he walked in the door and they said, why did you pull that stunt on us back when you let Lazarus die? No, they, they had actually grown closer. I, I love, I was reading in my quiet time this week, uh, Romans 12 out of the message. Laugh with your happy friends. Share tears when they are down. You see, closeness is about having a big time when things are good and having a sad time when things are bad. And guys, that's what I want to challenge you. In this pause, this may be your greatest opportunity for God not to be distant, not just intellectual, but truly emotionally tied. Number four, he perfects a deeper faith. That's what he was after from the beginning. He says in the beginning, I am delaying for your sake. Didn't make sense to them. Didn't make sense to us if we didn't know the end of the story. Right now, what we're going through right now doesn't make a lot of sense. But they came out with their faith stronger. I mean, just think. Again, if Jesus had done what he is capable of doing and just healed Lazarus immediately without even traveling to Bethany and, you know, Lazarus never died. He just got well and walked, you know, back into life. You think their faith would have grown? But making them go through this ordeal, where even when it doesn't look like God's working, he is working, making and allowing them to go through this and to hold on to his hand until he shows up and does what they expected, it allows you to go, you know what? It doesn't make sense right now, but I sure do trust God. You know, back then, remember the day he let, our, he let Lazarus die? Four days he stayed, stinketh in the grave. And remember what he did? I think I can handle this problem. You see, that's when your marriage is strong, is when you've been through difficulty and you've got a track record of going through difficulty and solving problems. You've learned to trust each other, that nobody's walking out the door. Because listen to me, Mary and Martha could have walked out the door. I mean, when Jesus doesn't come, he doesn't answer them, and all they've done for Jesus and as close as they've been, I think they could have easily just said, forget this. But even when they didn't understand, like where we may be today, they hung in there. And now we know why Jesus was glad when Lazarus was dead. 
Tom, I want, I want you to look back over this list with me just for a second. Let's, let's see all four of these. We're um, starting to prepare right now for communion. Don't want to shock you this week. But, but what I'd like you to do is just pause a minute and comment on these four statements. Do, do you see God doing any of these things in you right now? Okay? And again, maybe you don't. And if you don't, would you desire him to do one of these things in the middle of this pause? So we're going to give you a minute and a half just to think about this for a moment. Talk about it with the people in the living room or if you're by yourself, just think about it for a moment because this is good stuff. God wants to perfect you. He wants to mature you through this. So think about that right now. So in view of what we've talked about, in view of what you've just contemplated and reflected on, as we come to this time of communion, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to just have a blatantly open talk with God. You know, you, you can sing along or you can just get on your knees, but in the middle of these next couple of songs, I want you to pray. And I want you to just pray completely honestly. I mean, if everything's great and, and you're getting it, then man, praise him. But if everything's not good right now and you're not getting it, question him. Just, just be honest. You say, oh my goodness, buddy, can I come to the communion table and be that honest with God? Could I gripe and complain like they did? Yes. The communion table is the best place to do it because this is the place where you have the assurance that he's never walking out on you. I mean, he's proved on the cross once for all that he loves you. If anybody's walking out, it's not him. It's you. You got the choice. If you don't walk away from him, you could. But, but he's saying, as you meet around the table, I gave it all for you. I've proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that I love you. And you should have the security in this moment to talk to me about anything you want to talk about. So let me pray and you get your communion supplies and start building that relationship with Jesus based on honesty and even emotion. Let's pray together. God, Lord, thank you for this old story. Thank you for this different perspective. God, thank you that this story was not about so much the resurrection of Lazarus as it was about Mary and Martha being in this awkward place and being in it with you. And Lord, right now, as we take communion, as we, we feel so close to you around this table, as we remember what you have done for us and that you, you love us even when we don't understand what you're doing, God, help each one of us as we take of the bread and take of the cup to just have a, an open and honest conversation with you so that we will walk away from this table and even this pandemic is better people, more in love with you than we've ever been. Thank you that you're the kind of God that we can have this kind of relationship with. There's no other God like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.